0: welcome to elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing now here's your host tyler chesser
1: elevate nation welcome back this is tyler chesser i'm so thankful to have you here and i am blessed and grateful to be sitting down with a newer friend of mine eric silverman today and i think you're really going to enjoy this conversation I met Eric uh, over the summer, actually at a conference, a virtual conference during COVID, a virtual real estate conference, and uh, you know he really struck me immediately as somebody that I wanted to, you know, wanted to know not only as somebody that's been really successful in the business and the real estate business, but also just a really genuine guy and um, someone that you know hasn't forgotten who he is and and uh, all of that, you know, all the great things, um, you know, amidst kind of rising to you know, meteoric success in real estate and in business and in life. You know, he's just a genuine guy. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I know that you will. And are you ready to take it to another level? Because absolutely today is that day. There's always another level and we're going to take it to the next level. And I want to welcome you back to the show where we sit down for mind expanding conversations with influential authorities, in real estate as well as top experts in other industries and disciplines. This is for leaders, entrepreneurs, and real estate investors who have a burning desire for the extraordinary, which to me really lights me up, it really amps me up because I have a desire for the extraordinary. And so if you're here, you likely do as well, or at least a curiosity about what does the extraordinary look like? And so it is our mission to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally, to achieve greatness in real estate and beyond. We will distill the mindset, habits, routines, systems, tools, the strategies, and so much more from those who are elevating to a life without limits so that you can do the same or even more for yourself. And of course, we're going to do nothing less than that today. This is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through personal growth, through real estate investing, other ventures, and most importantly and ultimately in their lives. If you are enjoying Elevate Podcasts, please subscribe. Um, you know, give us a rating, a review. All of those things help, but also it really, you know, is something that myself and our team we really appreciate. We read every single review and we're grateful for your support. We're grateful for you listening today, but we encourage you to, you know, subscribe because we come out with two amazing podcasts every single week. In fact, in the coming year. Uh, you will be hearing from yours truly as well uh, on a solo episode every so often, occasionally. I'm not going to tell you uh, how often I'm going to be doing that yet because I'm not sure if I'm ready to publicly commit (laughs) to how many of those I'm going to be doing, but I think uh, it's going to be on a fairly regular basis and uh, I'm excited to bring those where we'll be talking about high performance, you know, some some component of high performance outside of these mind-expanding conversations. So I hope you enjoy those, but um, you know, the fee for uh, being here and for listening, it's, it's 100% free. The only thing we ask is that you share with a friend. So uh, if you don't mind to, uh, to ship this over to somebody else, do a screenshot or, or share the show, whether it's, you know, a text or, um, you know, on social media or whatever. So please just share this with a friend. And I also want to remind you that um, we have a few different resources. Elevatepod.com is where we put all of the show notes all the links, all the things we talk about uh, and the way that you can access all the guests through ElevatePod.com. We have a ton of other resources there. It's a beautiful new website. So go check out ElevatePod.com. Also the Facebook community page, Elevate Podcast Community. Uh, Go check that out and engage with the tribe further. Build relationships beyond the discussion and expand your mind and expand your network, right? Go and join Facebook community, Elevate Podcast Community. One final thing I will uh, plug here is Elevate Coaching Academy, Elevate High Performance Coaching Academy. If you want to make more money, find more deals, and have more free time, then Elevate High Performance Coaching Academy is for you. And uh, Coach Trevor McGregor and I are insanely excited, insanely pumped to be bringing this eight-week immersive experience where you will be able to engage in a kind of like a mastermind sort of a setting and also receive world class coaching from coach Trevor McGregor and myself and uh, let me tell you that we've been putting on this thing we've we've really been working on this for 2 years and um, we are just launching now so uh, this is going to be an incredible experience we invite you to go check out the free masterclass at elevatecoachingacademy.com to learn more about you know not only the five shifts that you must make if you want to obtain the five freedoms but also what Elevate Coaching Academy looks like. So go check that out, elevatecoachingacademy.com. And uh, we look forward to meeting you and having the opportunity to serve you through Elevate High Performance Coaching Academy. So, with all that said, I want to introduce you to today's guest, Mr. Eric Silverman. Eric Silverman is a founder and managing partner of East Ham Capital, a private real estate investment business based in Boca Raton, Florida. East Ham Capital launched its first fund in 2007. And that, it is now raising its sixth fund in 2020. And uh, we're recording this at the very, very end of 2020. And East Ham Capital invests in multifamily properties sourced and managed by a diverse network of local and real estate regional real estate owners and operators who have established successful track records of acquisition, renovation, management, and disposition of distressed real estate assets. They strive to achieve superior risk-adjusted returns for their investors through the revitalization of distressed residential real estate. I love this because it's not only registered, but it's a phenomenal quote um, that you know. actually I learned from Eric the first time I met him was that he says, we fix properties, not neighborhoods. What a powerful distinction because it's going to be an uphill battle if you're truly changing neighborhoods and you better have control of a lot of real estate. Um, in that vicinity to be able to do so, uh, so I think that's just a powerful distinction in a, in and of itself. So really, really powerful. But he's also a f- co-founder. I'm sorry, he's a founder of St. James Capital, a Bloomfield, uh, Bloomfield Hills, Michigan-based FHA-approved lender specializing in multifamily residential housing uh, financial services. And uh, they were sold in 2012. And man, he's he's done a lot of exciting things. Um, you know, also. He graduated from Baldwin College in Brunswick, Maine in 85 with an AB in mathematics. He's currently the chair of the advisory board for the Baldwin College uh, Museum of Art. And he also earned his Master of Science degree in management with a concentration in finance from the MIT Sloan School of Management in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He is an active alumnus of MIT where he currently serves on the board of the MIT Museum. So just a few insights into her, who Eric Silverman is. And let me just tell you, he's an amazing individual, and he's absolutely multifaceted with a phenomenal background and a track record that's really second to none in many ways. So I invite you to you know take notes and um, enjoy this very insightful Real Estate and Otherwise Conversation with Mr. Eric Silverman. Eric, my friend, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: I'm doing well, Tyler. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. And uh, I was reflecting a little bit earlier on our initial time we met, and I really enjoyed it because you're just a, a nice guy. You're a giving individual, but also, you know, you've experienced a, a high degree of success. So I just appreciate that about you. And, um, you know, tell me and uh, Elevate Nation a little bit more about, yourself behind the bio, we've already really talked about, you know, all the accolades and who you are kind of public image, but who is Eric Silverman as a man?
0: Who am I? Well, (laughs) I'll I'll tell you that um, when I meet new people, I like to trade life stories. And when I trade life stories, I have one rule and one option. And the rule is you have to start with where you're born. And the option is you can go first or second. So I will deliver this to myself and go first. (laughs) Tyler, you can choose to say whatever you want about yourself. Seeing seeing as you're introducing me to your community, I'm happy to start. So I was born in Detroit, Michigan, and I was born into a family in the apartment business. So you could argue I've been in the apartment business my whole life. My dad started building apartments in the 60s, actually in the 50s and 60s and uh i'm 57 i was born in 63 so that's was a while ago and uh it turned out i never really worked directly in that business i had have, have an older brother and an older cousin who were working in that business i didn't want to go into business with them let's put it that way so i got the heck out of detroit and i went out i went to school out east and uh I've been out east. I was out east in Boston for 35 plus years. And I moved myself and my business down to Florida about five years ago. Um, I've always been in and around the apartment business and around the real estate uh, investment and finance business. I've actually started two mortgage companies, both a residential mortgage company and a commercial mortgage company. The commercial mortgage company was a HUD lender. Uh, that HUD lender mortgage company is now inside of Grand Bridge believe it or not,
1: interesting. Go,
0: go figure. Everybody ends up someplace like Grand Bridge. <laughs> we ended up there through SunTrust, through Guggenheim Pillar, SunTrust, et cetera. It doesn't matter. We're now part of Grand Bridge, I guess. Um, not a business I own anymore. They paid me for that one. <clears throat> and then um, I ran a company called Rent Grow, which is in the credit and criminal background check business. I took over running that company in the mid '90s, and I was chairman for a number of years. And in 2010, we sold that to a little company called Yardi. Maybe some of your listeners have heard of Yardi.
1: Tiny little company there. Yeah. Tiny
0: little company. So if you use background checks from Yardi, that was the company that I ran. Um, And you know, in addition to that, I've been an investor in apartments, you know, with my own capital for over 25 years. And uh, 14 years ago, we started East Ham Capital. That's the name on the door over there. And um, our, uh, you know, I guess I'll get more into my business, but that's me, I'm married. I've got two daughters, they're 25 and 23. They're both working hard for a living from home at this point. (laughs) One's here with us and down in South Florida. She moved uh, down to be with us during COVID and my other daughters encamped in Brooklyn, New York. So they're, both, they're both working hard and doing well. Not in my business. One's an animator. My New York daughter is an animator and my Boston daughter is a, a writer. Uh, she actually writes for a real estate technology company called Rental Beast. She oh, does interesting. all of their communication. So little promo for Rental Beast. Check out <laughs> Rental Beast. It's very much in our big space of the rental world.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm making a note of that um, because there's, you know, there's so many different businesses that support, you know, our business and there's so many different right. arms, but I love your background in terms of, you know, growing up in the business to then, you know, your curiosity taking you out East for, for your studies and, and then obviously moving your business down South as well, but also, you know, just your growth uh, throughout these years. And I'm sure you've learned so much just as a leader, as an innovator as a business practitioner um, throughout all these years. So I I definitely want to dive into all that, but um, you know, I I guess, what are you most, I guess, exhilarated about these days, you know, from, from where you've come from to where you are now. And then I'd love to look back and kind of distill some wisdom, but what, what is really kind of getting you most excited as you push forward with East Ham Capital now?
0: Sure. Well, there's a um, tremendous, bias that has been uh, going on now for a little while towards rentals and what I'll call United States being renter nation. So I'll go really big picture. I don't know if I've stepped you through this before, but when you think about what's going on now, I think it's important to reflect on prior times in America and coming out of World War II, 1945, Uh, you know, just 75 years ago, no big deal. Um, You know, we, we were very much homeowner nation and there was a lot of public policies. um, Fannie Mae was created during that time period. There was social pressure to own a home. Um, There was tax provisions that benefited homeowners through the mortgage deduction, et cetera, et cetera. And then That, in my opinion, that homeowner nation in America went unabated for 60 years, 6-0, until about 2005. And from 1945 to 2005. And things started to change as we led into the financial crisis and the, frankly, overbuilding and overbuying of single-family homes. And it's, you know, in my opinion, we're 15 years into this, Change to renter nation. Not to say there weren't rental units in America; there were a lot of them. But um, this idea that renting is acceptable and 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 uh, uh, is a a great form of living in America uh, really has ha- improved significantly. And I don't think there's going to be Tyler any push, any letdown over the next. I mean, I don't know if we're going for 60 years of renter nation, but I bet we're going for at least another 15 on top of the 15 we've had so far. And the reasons for that are really based on, in my opinion, the macroeconomics of the affordable housing and affordable rental problem that we have in America. And um, I know this is a long answer to a short question, but let me just continue and talk a little bit about how I see this world. Um, I think about it in two ways. I think about it in supply and demand, you know, the two big drivers of a macroeconomic equation. And if you think about the supply of affordable housing, there was a tremendous number of apartments built in the 70s and 80s. We built in America almost 7 million apartment units in the 70s and 80s. The next 20 years, the 90s and 2000s, we built only 4 million apartment units. So it's pretty staggering you know, evol- evolution or devolution of less apartments built in America. Even if you look at the last 10 years, which is half of 20, we've only built about two and a half million units. So we're not even on course to build as many units these days as we did back in the 70s and 80s. And it's those 70s, 80s, and 90s properties in the multifamily space that are what are affordable to Americans that make thirty dollars to $60,000 a year. Assuming you use no more than a third of your income for rent, you need a rent in the neighborhood of $1,000, maybe less for some and a little more for others, but let's use that $1,000 rent number. Well, guess what? Certainly in the last 15 to 20 years, it is impossible to build new properties and rent your units for $1,000 a unit doesn't matter where you Austin or major cities, um, you know, uh, coastal cities. I mean, that number is ridiculous. I mean, you're looking at two and a half, three thousand $3,000 per unit, but even in suburbs and even, you know, relatively low cost areas, a thousand dollar rent on a new build, you know, unit is, is pretty much unachievable. Uh, I will say this as an investor, if you have them, and they're not little micro units, but you have thousand dollar units and you're trying and they're new build and you're trying to do a deal or, you know, call me, please call you <laughs> look up Eastham call Eric Silverman. And I would like to help you finance that, you know, the equity finance on that property because I don't think you can buy it. So what does that mean? We have a lack of supply of affordable housing, certainly without government assistance, about 25 percent of. Uh, rental housing has government assistance either through developer tax credits, et cetera, or through section eight. But how about the other 75%, right? So that's the supply side. And then just to jump to the demand side, if you look at apartment rents over the last 11 years, since the financial crisis, it doesn't matter whether you're a class B class C class properties, rents are up about 50% on average. And that's a big number. Anyhow, Uh, But that's really a big number when you compare that to CPI up about 20% during that period. CPI is a common inflation index, consumer price index. Or wages, which again, at a big macro level are up about 26%. So when you have CPI up 20%, wages up 26%, and rents up 50%, you've got a problem. And your problem is a reflection of the tremendous demand for rentals. So the problem is that with demand up and supply down, you're going to get higher prices. And we really have no way out of that. Government can't, can't, can't. uh, This is a multi-trillion dollar problem. This goes, you know, maybe they can solve COVID, but they can't solve this one.
1: Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital and you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital. It's a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called The Bottom Line, The 10 Ways to Increase cash flow in an Apartment Complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value-packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com. And enjoy the rest of the show. No doubt. And it seems like almost, you know, you need more incentives, you know, for folks on our side of the fence to uh, provide more affordable housing, because I think it's really interesting. You know, everything that you just described is so on point. And then also, if you think about from, you know, the capital markets and, you know, the supply and demand from a yield perspective, you know, it's continued compression across the landscape and also just reflecting on 2020, looking back at different asset classes. Um, that have ex- experienced more extreme distress than multifamily specifically, uh, as well as, you know, industrial has been one of the uh, beneficiaries in addition to multifamily. But most of that capital has now been focused on multifamily as being a place that is much more stable, secure, safe, uh, downside protection because of all the reasons that you just described. But with that said, cap rates are compressing further in a more distressed you know sort of macro environment you know with uncertainty on employment and all these things so i mean where do you see this all going and how do you i guess from from different vantage points how do you see this multi trillion uh, dollar problem being solved from the renter's perspective as well as how do you see this shaking out for investors
0: okay That's uh, really that. Now that was a long question, (laughs) not a short question.
1: You're rubbing off on me here. All
0: right. Fair (laughs) enough. Um, Well, here's what I see. Um, I don't think the demand for rentals and the demand for housing is going anywhere but up. Um, You know, we 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 need to uh, we need to both create and, and and maintain housing. Uh, for people. And, and the, the business model that I follow, and many others do as well, is to find older properties, these what I'll call C-class and B-class properties that uh, you know um, were built in the 70s and 80s, 90s, um, and buy them at a fair price, fix them up, and increase the rents a little bit, <clears throat> but still deliver a unit that somebody that's making, maybe someone was making 30,000 can't afford it anymore, but somebody making 35 or 40,000 can afford it. So I'm not saying that I'm solving the affordability crisis for people that are at, let's call it very low income. But if you make about a median income, 30, 40, $50,000 a year, you should be able to afford nice new, not, not necessarily new, but nice clean housing. And I think that is achievable in America. And I think there's millions of units remaining for that to be done. People say, oh, we've run out of, we've run out of the units to do the value add programs on. That's just not true. It's just not true. The, the supply is out there and it's out there sometimes in units that weren't renovated correctly. Uh, it's out there in units that haven't been touched in years because they've been owned by families that haven't gone through that process. Um, the, the fragmentation of ownership of real estate remains very, very high in America. Even if you take the largest apartment property owners, you know the top 50 or something like that, they still own less than 15% of all the, all the apartments out there. So uh, I believe there's lots of opportunities, not just for Eastern Capital, for, but for many people to execute this business model. That said, management matters. Like how you manage your property really matters. And I know you've had people on your show that take different, a different viewpoint on the world of fee management. Um, I think fee managers are great, but in my words, not on my assets. Mm. So my view of how we invest and I'm going off a little of a tangent on, on kind of answering your question. Matter of fact, I've gone a way off tangent, but I'm gonna we're keep going because I'm here. <laughs> you told me tangents were good and I'm a math guy, so I love tangents. That's right. Um, I, could, I used to be able to calculate those. Anyhow, <laughs> um, so, so my point is that I think there is a misunderstood premium for me for great operations and great management, mm. <clears throat> and when I buy properties, I'm looking to do that in conjunction in joint venture with great operators, and I think they're few and far between, and I know why. It's really hard. It's a really hard business. You know, it's really hard business to manage. You know, a multi-million dollar apartment property with probably just a small handful of people. You might have a Office manager, assistant manager, some leasing agents, some maintenance people, maybe a team of four to six to eight people, depending on the size of the property. And you're managing a multi-multi million dollar property with millions of dollars of revenue and hundreds of people, and it's not easy to do it well. And so I'm looking for great operators, and uh, you know that that that's my. You know, that's my goal. And that's how that's how I think this all gets solved. I think that if we continue to improve the operations of apartment properties, that will be helpful. I mean, you know, landlords have, you know, some people don't like their landlord. I know it's (laughs) crazy. Can't imagine that. Um, I don't you know, know. I think I went on such a tangent. So let's see where you bring it. No, I,
1: I love. I love the tangents, and that's what this is all about. But I think that it's a really important distinction to go back and say, you know, the level of fragmentation creates opportunity. Because I hear it all the time. Hey, there's no deals. There's no opportunities. I can't find anything. There's no more value add. And, you know, it's, a, it's about your frame of reference. It's also about your perspective and recognizing that perhaps there was some value add that wasn't done properly, right? The renovation was not done properly. And, you know, there's some newer product that's maybe been around for 10 years or less that perhaps is ripe for some value add. Maybe it's a reposition opportunity. And so it's a matter of, it's never a re- matter of resources. It's always a matter of resourcefulness and how creative and how you know, thoughtful can you be and looking at and saying, well, wait a minute, it's not just about the physical components. It's also about the operation, which is arguably more important. And, you know, recognizing that if you refine your approach, you can add value in that way. And so you, your approach with East Ham Capital is identifying those great partners and those great operators, right? So right. tell me what separates a great operator from an average or, you know, good operator, so to speak.
0: I think, I think there's a unique passion for management uh, of these older apartment assets or apartments in general that, um, you know, it's, it's the ability to build a strong community uh, at the apartment property. It's the ability to, um, frankly, have a strong backbone as it relates to Uh, both fixing problems. And also if there are residents who are um, uh, not behaving or not, you know, paying their rent or disrupting other residents, it's the ability to manage that set of problems uh, and still keep the community. It's about communication. Um, I think our, uh, we've got a dozen active joint venture partners um, across the country. We're in. We just sold our. We just sold our Mississippi deal. We've owned four deals in Mississippi, but we're sold out of all our Mississippi deals. So uh, I was going to say we're in eleven states right now, but we're actually in ten because we, last week we sold our deal in Mississippi. But the point I want to make is that I, I. I think great operators. You know, we've seen this during COVID, especially where. They, you know, really try and make a big effort to communicate with the residents about what's going on, what to expect, um, how to how to how to handle this crisis. And so, um, I'm not sure that it's something that can be taught. I think it's something that's somewhere between you can teach it, at, but you got to kind of learn it and. It's uh, it's it's a little subjective uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to objective in terms of trying to figure out who really is a great operator and has a passion for managing these these older assets that then get turned over.
1: Yeah. And you you describe it as that unique passion, right? Because and I think that is the key to Uh, because of the fact that there are so many challenges, there are so many problems to solve. Right. And you have to have a passion for solving problems and anticipating the next challenge and communicating that. And, you know, just being consistent and being committed to that and being resilient because, you know, if you're not ready for that, I mean, it'll knock you down. Right. People, people are passionate about the place that they live. And of course, you know, if there's a problem, they're going to let you know about it. So uh, I think that's really valuable, but how do you find these great partners? You know, Obviously, you guys are connecting folks to equity opportunities and joint venturing in these partnerships, but you're finding the great partners in those markets, right? And how are you locating them? And obviously, I would imagine it has a lot to do with your depth of network and your relationships that you've built over the years. But is there anything else that you point to?
0: Yeah, well, you know, like many things in life, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. It's crazy that way. Mm-hmm. But we, we set up a business model when we started Eastem, and we did two things um, that I think are instructive that people can use. So I'm going to give two ideas that we use and then you can steal these ideas as you like and use them, use them yourself. So the first thing we did was we set up uh, now, let me, let me go to the, the, the now I got to do this first because this doesn't answer the question, but to answer your question, I've got to explain our five rules. Okay? Thank you. So, so to fully answer your question, I've got to say that if you're going to do business with Eastern Capital, you're going to go to our website. You may go to our website. You're going to find our investment strategy and you're going to find five rules. We actually call them guidelines on the website, but frankly, internally, they're rules. And here's our rule. Everything we buy is an apartment for rent. It's somewhere in the United States of America. And everything we do is a joint venture. We never go out and buy 100% of the property, but we always own a majority. So, who are these joint venture partners? Well, number one, rule number one is they're local to the market, they're already in the market owning and managing property. Eventually, I'm going to tell you how I find these guys and these guys and gals and people and companies. But number one, they need to be local to the market. Number two, they need to put real skin in the game. Our typical equity split is 80 20. Now, the typical split in the market is 90 10 or 95 5. We like more skin in the game. That you could argue that makes us less competitive because there are equity providers that put up more, a bigger percentage of the equity. And my answer to that is I don't care. <laughs> I want aligned partners. I want partners that put skin in the game and are aligned with us. And I understand that you know, sometimes people can't do that but that's, you know, that's important to us. The third rule is that we only invest with groups that self-manage. And it's back to that subjective decision, whether they're great managers. And I am going to come back to how we find it. The fourth rule is we fix properties, not neighborhoods, which we've trademarked. Love that. Love that. Okay? And we don't think like a developer. I don't say I will build it and they will come. Usually I'm saying they live down the street. You know, They're paying a thousand bucks a month down the street. Can I buy this property that, where they're only paying $800 a month? and fix it up and improve it and get $1000 rents after a few years uh, and a lot of fixes. The fifth rules were all about cash flow and you talked about yield before and that that's that's a huge important component of the investment strategy of anyone's investment strategy is how much yield do they demand and how much yield are they, do they require and demand? So we're looking for properties that deliver a 10% or better cash flow yield post-renovation. And they've always been hard to find. They're even harder to find in this environment. So that's been probably the biggest regulator of how much business we can do.
1: No doubt. Can I comment on that real quick? Yeah. Um, I think the big picture here for the, for the folks listening is develop and establish and stick to your own rules, right? right. Whether you apply any of the rules that Eric is talking about here, that, that matters not. It's a matter of developing your own principles and set of guidelines to help you make decisions so that you can you know, use your own creativity and you know, innovation towards making decisions beyond that. But you know, save yourself you know, a thousand decisions by developing your own set of rules.
0: Yeah, I think develop them and then and then communicate them and then you know and stick to them. Stick to rules is really hard. <laughs> right. You know, that's the history of you know, humanity. Sticking to rules is hard. That's kind of a, a everyone's life lesson. So we stick to them. So that's that's important. Establish those rules and stick to them. And steal one or two of mine is fine. They're free, <laughs> they're on the internet, you can have them.
1: Absolutely. Um, so I um, cut you off there. So you're talking about finding these. So how do we the find
0: world? them? So so you know, historically, I told you that I was running a company that was a vendor to the apartment industry that we sold to Yardi. So I knew a lot of people in the business. A good way to meet a lot of these groups is to go to conferences, even online conferences, and meet and talk to people. And I've spoke on a lot of panels and even just attended conferences, met people. But I always get the conference list to see who else is there mm. so that I can build a database. So we have a very significant Salesforce database that we keep at Eastham Capital, not just myself, but I have three analysts that work, You know, the four of us full-time at this issue of how do we find these operating partners. Um, the strategy that I used was a strategy that I stole from a large private equity group in Boston called Summit Partners. Summit Partners has a phone bank where they put young just out of college people And they basically call every private company in America that does more than 5 million of EBITDA or something like that. They have their rules and they call these companies and they say, hey, we're Summit partners. You can check us out, you know, and you go look and they're a multi-multi-billion dollar entity. And we're interested to watch how you're playing along because, you know, maybe we'd make an investment at some point or buy your company. So this gets a lot of entrepreneurs very excited and it should except for the fact that they call everyone. They call everyone, everybody. So I said, look, my business is much easier. I'm into suburban garden style apartments. There's only so many. I mean, there's thousands, but there's only so many people in the apartment business. I'm just going to call everybody. And so between me and my analysts, we've developed a database and we just keep calling people. We say, hey, we looked at your website, and looks like you do something like what we do. Are are you interested to talk about about equity? So that's how I. That's kind of my big funnel, my Mm. big funnel of looking to talk to people. The small funnel is once I'm once I maybe see a deal and I'm I'm trying to figure out are these guys great operators. I call their competition. Hmm. I call other people in the market. You know, if I'm looking at a deal in Atlanta, Georgia. I know a lot of people that own and manage in Atlanta, Georgia. I call a bunch of them. You know, do you know these guys? What's their reputation? You know, they've been around a long time. You know, do they do the right thing? And I've heard all sorts of references, good and bad.
1: Hey guys, I just wanted to take a brief time out from this show, this incredibly mind expanding discussion to speak to the high achievers, the high performers. I wanted to speak to those who have a burning desire to go to the next level and beyond. First of all, I hear you and I see you. When I got started as a real estate entrepreneur fresh out of my W2 corporate job, I was excited and jubilant to create and design my future. At the same time, my business and life was filled with confusion, filled with fear, doubt, uncertainty, and to be honest with you, sometimes even sleepless nights and hopelessness, even while experiencing what many would have considered substantial success. Ultimately, I mustered up the courage to hire one of the world's top high performance business coaches to work directly with me on creating strategies, systems, and profound shifts towards accelerating my multifaceted performance and to become an industry leader. After years of investing significant resources into myself and in my business through this process, I am now paying it forward as a high performance coach to those who feel called to elevate to the extraordinary. Wherever you are right now, you know deep down that you have it within you to be great. If you're someone who's seriously looking to elevate your business, your real estate portfolio, your cash flow, your deal flow, your network, your net worth, your lifestyle, and ultimately your life right now and ongoing for the rest of your life, I have a message for you. Because if that's you, then I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. I have limited coaching spots available to guide people like you who want to substantially close the gap from where you are to where you want to be. These are first come, first serve, and demand high-touch, one-to-one focus from me directly to you. And this is not for everyone. This is only for those who are decisive, committed, and willing to do whatever it takes. It's only for those willing to play full out and invest time, energy, and resources into themselves to achieve greatness in real estate investing and beyond, which is what we're all about on this podcast. This is for those defiantly inspired for transforming as an empowered limitless, and unstoppable human being in full control of their and their business's future. If that is you, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com where you can apply for this life-changing opportunity. We will then schedule a discovery session where we will directly discuss what's working, not working, and how we can work together to accelerate your future. With that said, enjoy the rest of the show. That's really valuable. I mean, you're picking up the phone, right? It's the old fashioned approach, but it's the, it's the approach that works. Right. And it's about developing those relationships. And also I love the system you just described as far as the, the database, but also the, I would imagine there's a, a system that you follow in terms of uh, follow-up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We keep calling people over (laughs) and over. Sometimes they even answer.
1: No. And that's, that's great. And you and I, you and I met at a conference, a, you know, online conference because of COVID and everything, which was great. But I love that nugget that you shared with us as well, is that you look for that, you know, conference list, right? The, the attendees list. And let's, let's add that to our database. Let's follow up. And, you know, how many, I mean, give us a look. I mean, how, how big is your database? How many people do you have in there right now? Oh, thousands,
0: thousands, thousands, (laughs) lots.
1: So you're making, I mean, you're on the phone most of the day, every day.
0: Yeah, that's what I do. I talk to people. Yeah. Now, now I have a, my, my permanent 24-7 day job is talking to people and finding out what's going on in the market. And is there somebody out there, either an existing partner that we're already in business with or a potential partner and what's going on in the market, who's buying, who's selling, what's going on. Um, my periodic job is raising money. And so then I kind of take that database and I turn it at a different set of people, which is individuals and families that are at least accredited uh, investors, and I call people. So so can I talk a little bit about, about that? Please, please. it would be great. So, so we've developed kind of a unique business model where we've raised larger and larger funds over time, but we really haven't made the, we have decided on purpose not to go to the institutional, you know, pension funds, endowments, et cetera, large investors. We talked to a few, but really they, uh, they're really not in our investor base. Our investor base is largely, you know, individuals and families. And most of that has been done through a massive referral network, basically, based on performance. We're raising our sixth fund. We have three funds that are totally round tripped, all performed very well. Uh, about 2x multiple on all those funds. Um, and then our fourth fund we're finishing up. That'll also, I believe, get up to about a 2x multiple. And anyhow, what I, what I wanted to tell you is a funny story about the one part of institutional investors that I figured out back in 2009. So I started Eastim in 07. Our first fund had about 45 or 50 investors. My partners and I were the largest cash in investor in the funds ourself, um, which is also important. We've maintained that. We continue to be the largest cash investor. The only difference is in the first fund, we invested $2 million. And in the current fund that we're developing, we're going to invest probably about $35 million of our wow. own money. So people like that when you have skin in the game.
1: Absolutely. No, that's super important. What tell me, you know, one thing that I find really interesting, or I'd love to learn from you, you know, looking back, right, obviously, you've had success in previous businesses, you know, prior to starting your fund, uh, but then also raising multiple funds, having successful exits, and, you know, obviously, continuing to build that referral network based on your success. But what would you tell your younger self? I mean, like, if you, if you could go back to 2007, when you got started, when you started ESOM Capital, you know, is there any, you know, words of advice that you would have given your younger self as you were about to embark upon that journey?
0: Okay. I'm going to answer that question. Then I want to tell you the story okay. about 2009. So the answer to my question, the answer to that question is, it's a hard question. I'm very happy with the way things have played out. I, I, I want to be very critical. Of everything I do, but I want that criticism to be kind of like real time. Right. So, so, so I was real time critical when I started, and I continue to be real time critical. Um, so, what would I have told myself in the early days? Actually, one of the things that my partner Matt Rosenthal and I like to say is, you know, if we knew the financial crisis was coming. You know, we raised our first fund in 2007. If we knew the big, if we knew the tidal wave was coming, we would have raised more money.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> you know, we would have had more capital. You know, we wish we would have, could have had more capital uh, on hand. Um, we've kind of maintained that focus of really growing the size of our fund to make sure that we have enough capital to execute all the deals that we want to make and not run out of capital when you call yourself blank capital, you kind of don't want to run out of capital. (laughs) Right. I know it's crazy. So, um, so one of the things that I would say is, you know, Ray, if you're, if you're out to raise money, raise and you can raise more than you think you need, because that's a more conservative way to get from here to there. Mm -hmm. And if things, and if opportunities evolve, um, you can spend the money. And if they don't, don't spend the money, you know, but having, having capital available, as everybody knows, is you often, you know, that's the story. You, you, you don't go, you, you, you don't, you always end up getting money from the bank when you don't really need the money from the bank, right? It's when you need the money from the bank that you don't get it. So the point is if you are in the business of raising capital, don't, don't short the deals, maybe add, maybe, maybe raise more money, which, which which, all things equal might lower your yield, you know? So mm-hmm. lower your yield one or 2% and take more money and take and have more flexibility for things that come about either good or bad things that come about. So that's one thing I'd say. That's so great. let me tell you my story about how I got into, and I bet some of your listeners uh, either already do or are considering selling to RIAs registered investment advisors. So Um, I didn't really know about this whole world uh, until we started raising money. And I started noticing that most of my investors used RIAs. You know, they were wealthy people and they used RIAs. Some of them used Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs, some of the big brokerage firms, but many of them used small or smaller private companies that manage wealth. And I said, okay, well, that's where the money is, right? Like the guy that robs the banks, that's where the money is. So if the money's at the IRAs, I got to pitch the IRAs. So you made a comment about picking up the phone. So I found from 2009, this list of the big dogs of RIAs, the big dog list, okay? 500 RIAs. So... In two thousand nine, when I launched raising my started very end of two thousand nine, I started raising my second fund. I start. I called the list. I just called five hundred people, and you know, some even picked up the phone. And I actually found two RIAs that invested with us, and they still invest with us. And and uh, you know, it's just raw effort. You just got to pick up the phone. You just got to make the contact. You got to keep, you know, keep a to-do list, keep your to-do list and just keep pounding it every day.
1: Yes. No, that's super valuable. Tell me, you know, aside from that raw effort, you know, what are some other philosophies that you have personally that, you know, not only apply to your life, but also your business and just your desire for continued excellence? I mean, is there any other philosophies that you point
0: to? Uh, Return people's calls. So I'm in the business of making a lot of calls, and I really appreciate, appreciate it when people return my calls, um, even if they say, no, thank you, or even if they say, no, screw off. <laughs> but I appreciate people getting back to me. So one of the things that we do at Eastham Capital, when it comes to people sending us deals that we might invest in, is we always respond quickly. You know, quickly may not be the same day, but within two or three days we respond, and we and and we tend to give people quick feedback. And I'm sure you could talk to maybe some of the people listening to your podcast have have had the uh, the not the benefit per se, but the disaster of sending Eastern Capital a deal and having us say no. <laughs> but um, but we try to say no quickly. So I think you know, and, you know, responding to people's calls as best you can. If someone, you know, if someone sends you, you know, some crazy offer by the internet, that's obviously a, you know, they're sending it out to a thousand people and they, maybe they tweak it just a little bit to identify you. I don't think you got to run your day to respond to everything that you get. You can't. um, And, and, and you need to focus on what you respond to. But if somebody makes a you know, a genuine pitch for something that they think makes sense for your business, whether it's, whether it's me raising capital or it's me receiving a request for capital. Um, I think, I think, responding to people and 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 giving them an answer and giving them maybe a little information why like when people send us deals we try to say well here's a couple things that didn't work for us i'm not gonna tell you a million things but here's you know this doesn't fit one of the five rules or it fits the rules but this is a problem that doesn't work for us so it's just it's back to communication tyler
1: yeah. It's being proactive and being willing to pick up the phone, but also being reactive to a certain degree and making sure that you follow up and respond quickly. I think that's really valuable. Any yeah. other philosophies that you point to that's been really integral to your success and Easton Capital's success?
0: Well, I think that uh, the, I, one of the other misunderstandings I believe in real estate is that it's it's not a numbers business it's not a bricks and sticks business it's a people business like most businesses so it's not like i'm stealing some big thunder away from something else but it is a people business and 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 people you know respond to being you know to communication and being talked to and answering and answering back and and learning and evolving and admitting to making a mistake and, you know, all these sorts of things. And so because it's a people business, you know, you know, you can, you can look at all the numbers you want in the world. Okay. And you can make a spreadsheet, uh, tell you almost anything. And, and you can dream, you can look at a piece of raw land or a property and dream about what it might be. But unless you have the right people involved to create that reality, you know, bring us down to earth a little bit, unless you have the people and you have the right communication, it's not going to get done. Absolutely. So and- it's a people business and, and, and don't forget that.
1: Well, and you've had a lot of success in, in not only people from external, right, building your database and following up with people, finding opportunities, finding partners, but also constructing a team within yep. your company as well. Is that what you're referring to in addition to everything else?
0: Sure. We have a small team, but uh, there's seven of us that are uh, work at Easton, uh, myself included. Uh, we'll probably grow uh, two or three people over the next few years with the new fund, Um you know, our two main areas are, let's call it uh, acquisitions and asset management. That's you know, kind of the two big roles that we have. Um, but you know, getting everybody's feedback, one of the things that COVID has done, um, you know, I think we did a good job of it when we were all in the office, but strangely COVID has in some ways brought us together as a group more. And maybe other people on this podcast are either feeling the way I am or feeling that it's going the wrong way. So that would, might be interesting to think about. So we do a meeting. The reason I have a hard stop, you know, at the end of this call is because I have my daily call with my team. That's awesome. Again, it's not a big team. It's seven people, but we meet every day. And sometimes that call lasts 10 minutes and sometimes it lasts an hour and a half. But in general, we meet every day and communicate. And I think that COVID has actually gotten, you know, a lot of unity because there are people in every business that do different things. But it's kind of good to know what somebody else is doing. You can't take up your whole day, or else you never get your own job done. But to take, you know, maybe on average half an hour a day, bring a team together, make sure they're communicating, and COVID's actually made that easier.
1: It is really interesting. I think uh, COVID has been a blessing in some ways, of course. And it's shown, I think, who's effective and who's not in some ways. uh, Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when you see people in the office or whatever, it's like, oh, so-and-so is here and they've showed up and they're on time. But sometimes we lose track of, hey, well, what's the actual output? What's the actual outcome that we're creating together so I think that is interesting but the theme of our conversation to a large degree has been communication which I really appreciate and uh, I admire the level of excellence and um, you know the level of care that you have towards communication as well as developing long-term relationships Um, but I'd love to you know ask you uh, is there anything that you have changed your mind on significantly over the past few years as you've continued to grow
0: Changed my mind on. Okay. I got to think about that.
1: It's a tough one. And the reason why I ask it is because, you know, we, especially with someone like yourself who continues to develop and forge new relationships, I'm sure you get feedback from individuals that you admire, or perhaps, uh, you know, obviously with the amount of activity that you've had, maybe there's something that you look at and say, you know what, our approach now has shifted in a significant way uh, I don't know if anything comes to mind, and if it if if the question falls flat, no worries. But uh, yeah. just curious there.
0: Well, I think I I'm going to flip it around a little bit. I think times change, and and because times change, you have to change your expectations. So. We went through a period of time in the 2014 to 2018 ish period where we were buying and selling deals uh, and and getting great returns and and you know effectively flipping deals in like two years two and a half years, even less than two years sometimes never never less than a year because of long-term capital gains treatment but Through that whole period, we'd always have underwritten to hold deals for five years with the expectation that they might go sooner or they might take longer. They might take six or seven or something like that to accomplish our our investment goals. And so one of the things that changed for me, and this was pre-COVID, was I could see that... it wasn't a supply demand problem, but maybe it was a pricing problem. Pricing has gotten a lot higher and because pricing has gotten a lot higher in large part because of that supply demand, you know thing that I was explaining before, uh, which is driving prices higher. So I started saying to people, changing my mind and saying, look, you really have to expect to hold these deals for five years or more, because it's going to take that amount of time to really earn our returns. We're not going to be able to flip deals, you know, as quickly. So has that played out? Well, we did some financings in 2017, 18, where we took on debt that was really we really couldn't or shouldn't refinance in the first five years, kind of with that mentality. And that, those deals are working fine, and that's worked out. Although those rates are higher, you know, we were borrowing at, you know, the ungodly rate of four and three quarters,
1: <laughs>
0: or something like that, or five, God forbid, you know, it's crazy. Uh, <laughs> now you can borrow at three or two and a half or God yeah. knows what. Um, so, so we did those deals with that mentality. Uh, with the expectation that we're finally going to get around to a period of time where we really, you know, expect to hold deals for five years or longer. So that's largely played out. However, yesterday, yesterday, last week I sold a deal in Hattiesburg, Mississippi after holding it for two years.
1: There you go. Well, I I like the way that you answered that though, because, you know, times change, right? You always got to be willing to adjust and adapt and, you know, update your approach, right? Because of what is the market giving you uh, and what new information do you have? But also, hey, you know what? Maybe we decided that we were going to change, but now this approach looks like it's going to work. So right. I just like the adaptability there. But um, are there any big failures that you point to, Eric, that have been uh, very instrumental towards your growth and learning and uh, the growth of your company as well?
0: Well, I'll do a personal one that has nothing to do with East Ham. Um, For some crazy reason, in 2004, I bought a construction company and I did, I bought 50% of a construction company, a design build construction company that focused mostly on retail store, like uh, rehabs and and fit outs, Um, and then did some medical renovation work as well. And uh, the only good thing I did with that company is I moved us further from retail and more towards medical. This has nothing to do with multifamily. But I lost my ass in construction, man. I mean, I really got turned around in construction. Design, build, construction is not for me. I'm sure it's for some people, but it's not for me. So I learned that that was not the right place for me. And I better get myself back into the apartment business, Although I was still investing in apartments, but I kind of took this diversion to buy and own a construction business and it was terrible. And I, <laughs> and I learned a lot about myself and about what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And uh, I repointed myself towards multifamily and I also repointed myself more towards um, sales and marketing side of the world as opposed to operations. I'm not, um, I'm not really in my partnership with Matt Rosenthal, my, uh, my partner, he's really the day-to-day operations guy. I mean, you know, and I'm really the out there. I, what we, the way we say it is I'm the outside guy. He's the inside guy. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, I think that for, for listeners of your podcast, it's important to understand what you're really good at. Very few people are good at everything. Matter of fact, probably nobody's good at everything, right. But, uh, but it is good to identify your strong suit and play to the strong suit. And that's, that's what I did. So I, so I would say my, the error I made was believing that I could, you know, kind of do all sorts of stuff, including operations and,
1: that's yeah, valuable. That's, that's yeah, No, it's, it's the old saying, know thyself, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure that experience in itself was valuable and that you were able to learn more about yourself. So yeah. the reason why I love to ask that question is because failures are never failures unless you quit or give up, but it's a matter that's of right. you either win or you learn, right? So you learned and now you've applied that learning, which is I'm, I'm sure been extremely valuable in your continued growth. But Eric, I I really appreciate this uh, conversation. I've really enjoyed it in many ways, but I want to transition into our rapid fire section. We call it the rare air questionnaire. It's about being uncommon. It's about making the extra call. It's about returning those calls quickly. It's about communicating. It's about staying in contact. It's about pushing the envelopes. And uh, you know, it's about doing things that other people aren't willing to do, which is what you're all about, which I've really enjoyed. And I'd love to know if you would answer uh, just a few questions here for me. First of all, Um, what's the, if you were to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why?
0: Well, I read two books right before COVID. Uh, so that's, I guess that's not too recent. Uh, but, but I read two books that were interesting to me. They're actually right on my bookshelf here. Um, one is called what it takes by Steve Schwartzman, who created Blackstone. Yep. And the other is called the man who. Solved the Markets by Jim Simons uh, who, who created uh, a, huge, a huge hedge fund, uh, which name I'm forgetting at this very, very moment. I apologize. Uh, Renaissance, Renaissance Technologies, which is a weird name for a hedge fund, but that's the name. <laughs> and I read these two books at the same time, and, or one after the other. And it was very interesting because the personalities of these people were really quite different and you know they're both multi-multi billionaires. Frankly, Simons is richer. Um, I live in uh, South Florida uh, near Palm Beach, and these are both Palm Beach guys. So I think I don't know why the both books came out at the same time. I'm an MIT guy as well. Jim Simons is an MIT guy, so I was kind of interested in in both of them. But it was so different what their personalities were, and then how they exploited the if you will those personalities to to build. Such interesting businesses, and I will tell you that when I started reading Jim Simon's book, I really liked him at the beginning, and then liked him less at the end, <laughs> and then with with um, with uh, Schwart, Schwartz, uh, what, Schwartzman Steve Schwartzman. Um, I didn't like him in the beginning, but then I liked him more at the end. So it was kind of interesting. I don't know what you want to do with it. They're two good business books. One's about Blackstone. One's about Renaissance technologies. Um, they're now a year old cause it was a year ago I read them, but I don't know when you ask me, uh, that's my answer.
1: Yeah, no, I, I read what it takes and I will definitely plug that it was a fantastic read and, um, inspiring, you know, because, uh, anything is possible and you, you want to talk about somebody who thought big and created, massive results. I mean, that's, that's an absolute reference and, um, I'll have to check out the man who solved the markets as well. So thank you for that. Um, aside from our discussion today, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis?
0: Well, I don't know if you're going to suspect this of me, but I'm actually, um, uh, very interested. I'm Jewish and I'm very interested in the Torah and I'm very interested in, in learning, uh, about, uh, um, the Bible. Uh, so actually that uplifts me. And I, I, uh, every, every, week I, I save time to do that. I, during pre COVID, I used to go pray every Saturday, but I didn't feel as comfortable doing that. So now I do some things on Sunday with my rabbi. I actually have four rabbis. That's a whole nother world, <laughs> but I support a lot of rabbis and I, I'm, I'm that, 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 that uplifts me.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Eric? Uh,
0: I try and help people. I try and help a lot of people. Um, It's not just with money, but also with time. I try and listen well um, and I try and be a good sounding board for people. Um, I like connecting people um, that's probably my highest value in life beyond all the numbers and finance, money and business. I, I'm a connector. I like connecting people.
1: Yes, you are. There's no doubt about that. Eric, I have really, really enjoyed this conversation. Really appreciate you taking time. I look forward to continuing to communicate with you offline as well. But uh, are cool. there th- parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you share with Elevate Nation today?
0: Um, I guess what I'd say is be nice. It gets you a lot further. There you go.
1: Drop the mic, my man. Well, uh, you are absolutely nice. Every time I get a call from you, I know that it's going to be uh, an enjoyable call and I appreciate you so much. But, um, you know, tell the listeners how they can learn more about you and Eastham Capital.
0: All righty. Well, there it is up on the wall right there. East Ham Capital. Uh, www.easthamcapital, E-A-S-T-H-A-M-C-A-P-I-T-A-L. Take a look at our website. And if you have a deal that you're looking to finance that you think meets our five rules, please call or write. If you are looking to invest with us because you're a qualified investor and you'd like to learn more about our new fund, Six, which is launching, uh, we'll do our initial capital call early next year. uh, Please call me.
1: Outstanding. And you know, he will return the call and uh, we'll (laughs) hold him accountable to that. So Eric, this has been absolutely outstanding. And uh, I want to encourage Elevate Nation to absolutely reach out to Eric and learn more about Eastham Capital. Go to their website. We'll put a link in the show notes as to how you can do that. And I want to encourage you to re-listen to this show because there is a ton of nuggets of wisdom here that you can apply to your business immediately. And that's really the key. It's about applying, right? Identify. And apply, take massive action, but also share with someone else. Who can you share with on your team some distinctions that you learned? And I always encourage folks to delineate what are your top three key distinctions that you can not only apply, but you can share with someone else because you know, teaching is uh, sometimes the, the best way to learn. And uh, repetition is the mother, mother of all skills. So I would encourage you to re-listen to this show. And uh, until next time, Eric, thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Thank you, Tyler. Be well. Have a great day. You too. Elevate Nation,
1: thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit ElevatePod.com.